Reverse that posture. How many know he's a good, good father? He's good. You feel it? You feel your heart beating faster? He's such a good God. God, we come before you uh, humbly, God. We are so grateful to be in your presence this morning. And uh, just as you sent water down from heaven last night, God, we pray that you would rain your presence, your love on us right now. God, we believe in faith right now that you are here with us. And uh, God, we want to know that you're here. We want to respond to your love today. Thank you for being such a good, good father. God, we love you. And uh, we pray that your spirit would move and open our hearts like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Some, give somebody a high five as you take a seat. Thank you, Robin. <clears throat> it's great to be together. And, uh, you know, I was thinking on my drive here this morning, uh, you know, there's a popular cliche in sports where people say, uh, play every game as if it were your last, right? And I was just feeling, man, like every time that I get the amazing privilege uh, to be up on stage before you, I want to preach every message as if it were my last. And uh, I want you to know, uh, you know, earlier this week, I posted on Facebook how important this message was, and I feel like expectations rose, so I just want to lower your expectations a little bit. Um, but just to know, uh, I really feel passionate about what I'm talking about today. It's so simple, but it could change your life. And so uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited to be here together as a family. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. A really great passage on the subject of love, which uh, I think we can all agree that God's love is the foundation of our faith. Amen? Amen. This idea of God's love and our love, and they come together here in this passage in a way that I want to share with you this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God or loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Like, this is who God is. You know, in a nation that's wrestling with, you know, political tensions and racial tensions, God is love. God is not one uh, race. He's not one thing or another thing. Like, God is love. This is who God is. He is love. The perfect embodiment of that's who he is. That's the best way you could describe our Father in heaven. He is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We might live through him. I, I like just walking through the scriptures and, and just picking out things that pop out because it's crazy. You would never invest anything that you have if you knew that the return might not come back. And yet God gave his most valuable possession as an investment not knowing if it would come back with a return. 
but he did it for you. You know something's value by what you invest in it. This is love. I, I, I think this just rocked my mind. This is love, not that we loved God. That's a radical declaration from the Spirit of God, isn't it? No? You with me? What a radical declaration from the Spirit of God. By the way, it's like John is saying, hey, by the way, this narrative, this book, this story that we call the Bible, okay, it's not so much about your love. In fact, you, don't even, you didn't even have love for God. It's about God's love. I said it's about God's love that initiated contact with you, and because he loved first, we can now love him back. And so the theme of our life is not really our love for God. Really, the ultimate theme of our life is, should be God's love for us. The power is in God's love for us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God, love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, it's like people see God in you. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Can we, can we just give it up for that scripture? I feel like I could just go home right now, you know? You know, it's a good scripture when, when you don't even have to say anything about it. I mean, it's just so plain how he puts it. It's not theoretical. It's not confusing, but it's powerful. It's a powerful scripture. And, and, and I want to speak specifically about one area or, or one component of God's love today that will hopefully be really clear to you as I talk about it. And I want to talk to you about God's love from this perspective. It works both ways. It works both ways. Touch two people on either side of you and tell them it works both ways. It works both ways. <clears throat> it works both ways. Yes, it does. It works both ways. You know, a good sermon, a good sermon works both ways. Where the preacher is sharing the word and then the people are responsive. I'm not an entertainer. Okay? Uh, you know, a good worship service goes both ways, doesn't it? It's not a bunch of people standing on a stage giving you a concert, singing to you. No, it's all of us lifting our voices to God, worshiping Him together. Come on, somebody. You know, any good relationship has to work both ways. You know, a while ago, I gave a good friend of mine uh, who was really instrumental in my faith and, and raising me up to be kind of part of the man, besides my dad, uh, somebody that was really instrumental in my faith, uh, and other than Peter, uh, was Josh Peterson. And, um, you know, I called Josh because, you know, usually we talk, you know, every other week or so, and I gave him a call, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, that I haven't called you lately. It's been so busy. And he's like, hey, you don't need to apologize. Last time I checked, that, that phone worked both ways. I could have called you just as easily as you could have called me. A good relationship goes both ways. Now, it's a weird thing if you've ever been in a relationship that isn't reciprocal. Amen. 
or not amen. You're like, no, that's not an amen. <laughs> Have you ever been in a relationship that wasn't reciprocal? Let me, let me see a raise of hand. You know, everybody's hands should have gone up. Do you need me to define reciprocal for you? Okay, especially if you're a parent, your hand should have shut up. Like, like you didn't even raise it. Like your hand should have just gone up. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know? You know, somebody said uh, before Ayumi and I had Hannah, uh, by the way, she just turned uh, 19 months. This is us three this week. And uh, she just turned 19 months, which really is no big deal to anybody but parents. Like 19 months, right? It's great. But uh, yeah, 19 months yesterday. And, uh, you know, somebody said to us before we had her, they said, don't worry about all the sacrifice of having kids because they give back so much more than they take. That was a lie. In case you're thinking about getting pregnant, if anybody tells you that, they're not honest, okay? It's a lie. They take way more than they give. It's true. It's a true statement. I love her, but it's not very reciprocal, if you know what I'm saying. You know, a lot of times where, uh, you know, as a ministry leader, uh, I get an opportunity to help a lot of uh, young people in our college ministry or our high school ministry, kind of guide them when it comes to relationships. And one thing that I always teach them, one thing I always talk about is that, you know, the man, God has called you as a man to lead, to lead this relationship spiritually. God is calling you to raise up and be fully who you are in him and to lead her to him. And what I'm really trying to teach them and what I'm really trying to say to them is that Reciprocation is so important in a relationship, but yet in any given relationship, there's typically one initiator, right? There's usually one initiator. And I just believe, and, and this, this might be old school, I don't know, you don't have to agree with me, okay? You don't have to feel this way, but I believe that in a romantic relationship that a man, if he wants to be a real man, okay, should initiate when it comes to romance, when it comes to love, when it comes to serving, okay? I don't always do that, but that's what I believe, okay? There's a difference, so. I try, but it don't always happen, so. I'm just using it, you know, whether we're talking about the world or, you know, we're talking about relationships and how they work. It, it works both ways or it doesn't work at all. I mean, if I always do and do and do and you never say thank you, it stops working at all. And, and you see John painting a picture that on the surface is very lopsided about this relationship between us and God that is anything but reciprocal. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he just flat out loves you. Like, he couldn't be any more crazier about you. Like, there's nothing you could do or not do that would change the way he feels about you. It's, it's just so unreciprocal. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you. This love is anything but reciprocal. You with me? And it's appropriate that John would write these words. You want to know why? Why, Mike? Um, of all the disciples, 
that Jesus had that could have written these words to explain to us about God's love and our love, John was the perfect candidate. And there's a very specific reason. You know the reason? What, Mike? What is the reason? Right? I know you're asking. It has to do with the nickname that John gave himself. You know, usually other people are supposed to give you nicknames, right? But John was bold enough to give himself a nickname. He, he called himself something very interesting. Now, if you've never seen this before, it's going to kind of make you think that John was full of himself. Like, whoa, John, you're a little conceited, bro. Uh, but I'm going to show you why I think he felt this way. And in John chapter 19, verse 25, it says that after the crowds had scattered because, you know, they realized that when Jesus was on the cross that they're not really going to be getting fed by Jesus anymore, you know? And so a lot of them started to leave because they realized that ultimately Jesus was marching toward a destination of sacrifice. And they didn't know if they wanted that. They liked the food, but not the sacrifice. And there was just a little group there, and there were some usual suspects. It says in John chapter 19, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, and we know what was his, his mom's name, Mary, uh, his mother's sister. Then we got Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, okay? Could there be any more Marys in one group? It's like there's something about Mary, you know what I mean? And by the way, can we just hear it for the women? Can we hear it for the women? You know that, that March is Women's History Month? I think that's what it is, right? We celebrate you, women. Don't, don't you think that women are better at, at love in some ways than men? Yeah. At least at expressing it. And, and I know that's a little, like, don't be offended. I'm not trying to stereotype women. Uh, but it's all these women. And then in the Gospel of John, which was written by, which was written by John. And it's the same guy who wrote the passage that we read earlier in First. Thank you, First John. He says that he was there, but he doesn't say his name. Instead of his name, he says that there were all these people, and when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, you know me, the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, you might have heard of me, the most loved by Jesus. Like, I'm going to put that on my Instagram, like, Mike Mead, loved by Jesus, you know? Now, I, I have at various times, I must, you know, get open. Uh, as a high school ministry leader, I've told each graduating class of students separately that they were my favorite class. I've said that to every graduating class, like, you're my favorite class. I've been dreading this day since the day you came in. Like, you know, make them feel special, right? Now, you, okay, don't judge me. Okay, I feel like you guys are judging me. You know, I'll pull them aside, and I'll tell them that they're the most spiritual, and I'll pull them aside, and I'll say, you know, you're the best-looking class we've ever had here in our ministry. Each class has heard that they are the best at all things that could be categorized, you know, by different, you know, points of time, but that's just the way I do it. And if you read Scripture, John really was kind of like in this special, special circle. It was Peter, James, and John, right? this inner circle of Jesus. And I don't know this to be the case. I'm just kind of wondering out loud, but, but 
I wonder if perhaps Jesus pulled each of them aside at different points in the time they were following him, and, they, and, he, and he said to them, hey, hey, you know you're the one I love the most. You know, these other guys, but you, I love you, right? You know, I wonder. I, I wonder if Jesus told all of them that he loved them, but John was the only one who really believed it. And so when he speaks about himself, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. Like, forget about Mike. That's not my identity anymore. My identity is that I am loved by Jesus. That's me. I love that. I'm loved by Jesus. And it's interesting then that when you read 1 John, if you look at it in the New King James, if you read it in the New King James, when he starts uh, telling the church about how they are to love, he uses a word. He says, beloved. Everybody say beloved. Beloved. He says, be loved. Let us love one another. Beloved. He's speaking to them, calling them according to how he sees himself. You know, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. I'm beloved. And now I'm calling you according to how I see myself. Beloved. According to how he believed Jesus saw him. Beloved. And this is how life works. I want to show you a visual of this because he calls himself what? He, He calls himself beloved. Beloved. And then he writes to the church and he calls them beloved. Beloved. I want you to think about this because when we talk about the commands and we talk to people about what they should do and what they shouldn't do and the commands of God, okay, when we talk about all those things, many times we tell them things like be holy and we tell them things like, you know, be better, be pure. And rightly so, you you should become all of those things. But maybe the first command that God gives isn't just be holy or be better or be pure, but what if his first command for you was just to be loved? Be loved. That's all I want from you right now is I want you to be loved. I'm not watering this down. Jesus said, I want you to be loved. Be loved. Touch three people. Tell them, be loved. Do it. Do it. I know that's weird. That's okay. Touch, people, touch three people say, be loved. Be loved. I told you a good sermon goes both ways. Come on now. Be loved. Be loved. Be loved, beloved. Some of us are very poor at receiving love. And it's no wonder when we're called upon to give it, we come up short. And I want to explain a principle to you that applies to love. This principle applies to money, okay? So you're getting this for free today. It applies to skills. It could really apply to anything in life. It's this. It's that, it's that you can't give what you never got. You cannot give 
what you never received. I mean, try it with your ATM card. In fact, you know what? Right now I need $125. I need $125. I need exactly $125, and I'm going to get it, okay? I need $125 right now. I need $125. Brian, Brian, I need $125. Brian, can you come up on stage, please? Brian, I need you to come up on stage, please. Everybody give Brian a round of applause here. Brian, I need $125. I don't need much, okay? He's nervous. I just need $125. I need $125, and he has $125, don't you? Do you? He's got a $125. And the reason he has $125 is because while we were singing earlier, right, I tapped his shoulder, and I gave him my wallet, okay? I gave him my wallet. I handed it over to him. I didn't say anything to him, but I just tapped him, and I said, here's my wallet, okay? I handed him my wallet, and I came up on stage because I knew at this point in my sermon, I would need exactly $125, and without us even communicating, he knows you still got my money, right? All right, let me see. Okay. <laughs> A hundred times. Let's count it. Come here, come here. Right here. We're going we're gonna to count this like they do at the bank. Okay? All right. Here we go. Let's see. No, no, no. No, no. Don't make fun of me. Okay? All right. Here we go. 20, 40, 60, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, 105, 110, 115, 120, 125. How could that be the exact amount that I needed? Because I knew I would need it. And I gave it to you. Not for you to keep, okay? But to bring it to me. Some of you thought this illustration would end with me blessing him. Okay, no, I need this money to live my life, okay? Thank you, Brian. You need it too? That's okay. You can have a seat. Everybody give Brian a round of applause. I think I'm going to bless you with 125 bucks. <laughs> but look, John says the first thing you must realize about love is where it comes from. And he said, and he said in that scripture, beloved, that's you. Let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God. Because love comes from God. That money came from me. God will not ask you to give something that you never got from him. You will never be able to give something that you don't get from him. And so what does he do? He gives it to you. How many of you have somebody uh, that is difficult to love in your life? Anybody? You got somebody who's difficult to love? Okay. How many of you looked at somebody this morning while you were driving here to church that's difficult to love? Okay. I'm not trying to start problems. Okay. You see, 
You see, I have a real simple solution for you if you have somebody in your life that's difficult to love, okay? And you don't know how to do it? Ask God how he does it because he does it with you. You want me to say it again? Okay. Ask God how he does it because he does it with you. You can clap or you can look confused, okay? But it's true. It's true. That if you don't know how to be loved, you'll never know how to give love. You will act out of frustration towards yourself and you will damage every relationship in your path because you don't know how to be loved. You're running around all the time. But you don't know how to be loved, to be loved by God. To be loved unconditionally. Some of you have never been loved like that by a person that you could see. And it's kind of hard for you to believe that a God that you can't see will love you with a love that can never be taken away from you. It's hard. You know, this Monday I had one of the most powerful moments in my life as a Christian. And I was reading the word, and I was kind of, you know, actually was reading this passage, and I was really kind of just meditating on this thought of, you can't give love that you haven't first received. And I was thinking, and this is why I posted on Facebook, it was right after this moment, okay, because I was just like, Jesus, okay? So, uh, you know, so I was, I was thinking about my wife and, and how amazing she is, but I also noticed this I'm going to get open. I had this harsh truth about myself that I feel like for a while, I feel like there's been a lot of moments where I've been communicating or expressing disappointment towards my wife. Like I've been disappointed in her over stuff that, that really shouldn't be a big deal. And I felt like God just kind of opened my heart in that moment. And he says, the reason, Mike, that, that you can't, that you're disappointed with your wife is because you think that I'm disappointed with you. And you're only giving your wife what you're getting from me. And it has nothing to do with God, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean? It has everything to do with how I perceive God and how he feels about me. I can't give love to my wife that I haven't first received from him. And I just broke down in that moment. I just thought, God, I don't feel your love. Help me feel your love. I can, I can show as much love to these students as I can, but in my most important human relationship, I wasn't giving love because I wasn't getting love. God loves them, but not enough people are convinced that God loves them. And it shows in their life. It shows. You know it. You got the knowledge. But it has to become a conviction that you're so convinced that no one could ever change the way you see God's love because it leads to life change. So that was free. I, I really didn't, wasn't going to put that in there. But there you go. We don't just want to talk about this kind of love as a church. We want it to show. We don't want to just sing songs about this kind of love, but we want to show our love. 
And it turns into something powerful. It turns into something, you know, strong. And it turns into something that, that moves. You know, I was a business major in college. I studied accounting. And there was one word that I heard a lot from my professors over and over again as they were explaining business concepts. And the word that I would hear a lot uh, in these lectures was this word right here. Leverage. Leverage. Everybody say leverage. leverage. Business is all about leverage, right? Uh, negotiation is all about leverage. Uh, you see this in, in all these political debates that are currently going on, right? And you see all these things that they're finding, about, finding out about what he did in 1974, okay, right? And the thing that she did that was a little sketchy, right? All, all that these people are doing is they're looking for leverage, right? They're looking for leverage. And, and, that's, and that's the way business operates. That's how politics operates. And you know what? For a lot of us, you know, we have transferred these principles by which uh, the world operates and we've projected them onto God. And so if you silently, and so you silently believe, you, you don't say this, but you silently believe that, that God's looking for leverage against you. Oh, you didn't read your Bible this week? Oh, wait, you haven't been in a Bible study for four months? I got leverage on you now. I mean, you got to do it. See? Like, that's how we interpret God. Like, he's look, looking for leverage against you. Just like you sit across from a table from someone in, in negotiation and you try to find out where are their weak points. What do they really want? You know, God, you know, I think about, I see this all the time with parents. Like, you, you understand leverage as a parent because I know when your kids aren't obeying you, you take away what's valuable to them, right? Which almost 100% of the time is their phone, right? You take the phone, you got the leverage. You know what I'm saying? Like, my daughter's not old enough for that yet, but she does have a pacifier. So I'm like, oh, oh, Hannah, oh, you want this? You want the pacifier? Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll be like, Oh, it's good, right? Okay. I'm not, and God's a much better father than I am, okay? But the way, the way he runs the universe is interesting because he had all the leverage. You want to know what it was called? It was called the law. God had all the leverage he wanted on you. Through the law. The law that we couldn't fulfill. The perfect righteous requirement that, could, that we could never measure up to on our best day. He had all the leverage in the world, but he did something so strange. He, he, he basically gave away his leverage by sending his son Jesus down. He gave away his leverage. Paul would say in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by the sinful nature. What does that mean? It means that the law wasn't enough leverage to change a human heart. Because as much as we try, we can never keep the law. You could never do it. And a lot of us try to change our lives and we try to change other people's lives and, and this is how we do it and this is how we view religion and this is how I view God and, and we want to use the leverage of law to, to, 
to change our lives and others' lives, the leverage of what we ought to be, the leverage of what we're not, and then that produces guilt, and that produces shame, which then produces short-term change in your life. But it's not enough leverage for lasting change. I'm going to say it again. The law is not enough leverage for lasting change. And I'm not hating on the law. Jesus came to, to be the fulfillment of the law. But we can never be changed by the law forever. Not in our hearts, not in this world. There's a lot of talk right now in our church and about how the church can grow and, and how can we become a force of change again? Like how do we get back to this place? Well, if we're taking our, head, our, 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 we're taking our orders from headquarters, we won't use the leverage of the law to try to change the church because the law was powerless to do it. If we want to change the world, we're not going to use the law to do it because it was powerless to do it. So you can crank on that leverage all you want. Go ahead and crank on it and get tired on it. Go ahead and crank on it all you want. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be a standard, okay? But I'm just saying where is that coming from, if you know what I'm saying. But if it's not enough leverage to change your heart, how's it going to be enough leverage to change our church? If it's not enough leverage to change your heart, how's it going to be enough leverage to change this world? God says, I want to use a different kind of leverage. I want to use the leverage of love because love will take you way further than the law ever could. It will take you way further than the law ever could. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Let's say your child, you got a six-year-old girl or a six-year-old boy. They're playing out in your front yard. You look away for a minute. The ball goes out into the street, and they get hit by a car. Their head smacks the pavement, and they bust their head wide open. And so you scoop them up, and you put them in the car to get them to the emergency room. And on the way to the emergency room, every sign you see says what? Speed limit. Speed limit. How much attention do you pay to the numbers beneath the speed limit in that moment? Those numbers mean nothing to you. Why? Because somebody that, that, that you love is in trouble, and in that moment, any parent with a beating heart in their chest wouldn't break the law for the love they have for their own child. And, and, and what will really turn your heart to God is not when you hear his laws, and, and, and again, that's not, we're not saying that that's bad. The law is amazing. God gave it to us. He gave it to us for our good, but they were powerless because there wasn't enough leverage in our action to keep the law. We could never do it. We just can't. So what God did when he sent his son, and this is why we get excited, and this is why when we worship God, we lift our arms, and and sometimes we have tears because it's so amazing. God's love is so incredible. And when we think about Jesus, and this is why the gospel is still good news today, Because God broke the law for love. God broke the law for love. I mean, he scooped you up, man. He scooped you up and is carrying you in his grace. I mean, that is what the law was powerless to do. 
and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. But God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man. Romans 8.3. All that leverage in the law, and yet God knows the truth, that the only real leverage you and I will ever have is love. That's it. And if we as a church are going to make a difference in this world, it's not going to be through getting people to learn about a God that they don't love. And they can't love a God that they don't see. And so do they see him in you? That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. This is how God showed his love. He sent. He showed his love. He sent it. And the disciples who stood near the cross, the only one who stayed near, he wasn't the loudest, but he was the most loved. You see, Peter was the loudest, wasn't he? Peter was loud, but John was loved. And that's why he was still there at the cross. I noticed at sporting events, sometimes the people who are the loudest are the first to leave. It's true. At a high school football game, Ref, are you kidding me? Did you not see? That's holding, Ref. Come on, Ref. Penalty. Beep, beep, beep. Move back. Coach, what kind of play was that? 14 points down. They're the first people to go. They're the first people to leave. I noticed it at a football game, and I noticed it in the church. That sometimes the loudest ones are the first to leave. The one who says, I love my church, but you can find out how much you really love the church by how much you give your heart to it. Because you've never loved anything in your life that you didn't support. Sometimes I know when it's quiet, it's thinking. And so, and so John stood at the cross, and we don't have any record of what he said. But that he was there and that he was loved. And he stood with the family, and Jesus told him something that's kind of crazy. Look what he said. He says, he says when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. He's talking about John. It's weird. Nobody can figure it out because Jesus had brothers. And so why did John have to take care of Mary? Nobody knows. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of suggestions, there's a lot of theories of why, but nobody really knows. But it's something interesting about what he was doing, and it relates to the cross, which, of course, is the ultimate symbol of God's love. I mean, can we just all agree that the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's love? Can we all agree on that? Please, can we raise our hands? I just want to see it. Raise all, everybody. I'm looking at all of you. Raise your hand. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love. Amen. So if he doesn't give me a job when I ask for it, then he still loves me. He still loves me because he showed it at the cross. You know, if, if he doesn't give me a spouse when I ask for it, I know he loves me because he showed it at the cross. That's the place where his love came down. I'm, I'm bringing in for a close here, okay? It said that God sent his love. It said that he showed his love. It says that love 
comes from God, and I believe that love still flows down to us on the cross to this day. I do. I really believe it. That's why I've given my life to it. You see, when Jesus was carrying his cross from an historical perspective, we have a picture of him carrying the whole cross. But the way that they would crucify people in Jesus' day was a very efficient process. And if you were to carry the whole cross, it would have been way too heavy for you to make the journey. So what they would do is they would put the stake in the ground, that is the vertical part. They would drive that stake into the ground, which made the vertical beam of the cross, and the criminal, which the innocent in the case of Jesus, would carry the cross beam. You guys with me? So this, was, this part was in the ground already, and then the person who was being crucified would carry this part, the horizontal piece. And so when Jesus was going to the cross, this part was already in its place. This part was already there, okay? This part was already there, and he was, what he was carrying was this part, okay? With me so far? Why is this significant? Why is this important? Because in our world today, I believe that God has already done his part. You see, God already did his part. He sent down his son Jesus into this world. He sent down his son Jesus into your life. He did his part. By the death of Jesus Christ for anyone that would believe in him. God has got that part covered for anyone who wants to receive and respond to that love today. And I know this may be simple, but it's strong. It's strong. To know that no other person has to bring you to God. You can come to God when you're ready to receive and respond to what he has done for you. And in that moment, there's a connection. There's a connection. A connection happened at the cross where humanity was made right with heaven on the cross, right? But Jesus made that connection the other way. God sent it down. Jesus sent it out. Jesus sent it out. And John, the beloved, says, until you love one another, the cross, it's not complete. Until you do this part, all we have is a vertical piece. It's strong because I was taught that Jesus paid it all, and he did. And I was taught that everything I need is in the cross, and it is. But Jesus brings up a dynamic that we need to discuss because he says that people can't see God, but they can see us. They can't see God, but they see us. And then you look in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we, everybody say we. Everybody say we again. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's a statement so strong that, that, that people try to water it down because the implications of what it might suggest would have such a strong impact. Without our love for one another, the love of God just looks like this. That's all it looks like. But it takes this to make a cross. 
And that's what Jesus is carrying, and that's why he turned to his mother, and he turned to John, and he said, I'm taking care of this. Now I want you to go ahead and take care of this. I got this covered for you. It's your turn to do this now. You got to do it. And that's what he says to the church in 2016 on March 6th here in West Covina, California. Okay? God says, I'm taking care of this. Hey, but all of you, it's your turn to take care of this part. Okay? That's your call. Teens, this is your call. It's not enough to just receive this, but you got to let it go out. It has to. It has to. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. What was he talking about? This part. The cross is only effective when it works both ways. When it works both ways. I want you to tell three people around you, it works both ways. Do it. We're, gonna call it, we're coming in for a landing. It, it works both ways. It's got to come down. Right? The love of God has to come down. It has to come down. The love of God has to come down. But what, co- what comes down must go out. Okay? You, do you feel the power of what, what John is saying here? Okay? I'm telling you that God has done his part. He's done it. He sent his son Jesus, and he's given his love. And he's driven the stake, but he's given us this. To carry. And what we do when we love others, when we love our world, and when we love our, our, our coworkers, and when we love our school, we make the love of God complete. We complete the love of God. We take this and we turn it into this. We take this and we turn it into this. It's got to work both ways because you can't give me what you haven't, you ha- if you haven't received love. It has to go, it has to go both ways. Martha, you know, I'm going to close out with this story. I said that like three times already, but I'm going to close out for, for reals here. Martha, Martha was so busy. Many of you know about Martha and Mary's story, right? Martha was so busy trying to show her love to Jesus while Mary was receiving love that Jesus taught a lesson about it. This is a little story that's in the Bible that shows how some of us are really poor at this. We're really bad at this part. We don't receive love very well like Martha. And so we're always giving out, right? We're always giving out. We're always giving out. We're always giving out. We're always giving out. And now I give up. I give up. What goes down must go out. What goes up must come, but what must come, what comes down must go out, or the cross is not complete. It's not complete. And we get to be a part of completing the cross in our church and in our community 
Stand, I want you guys to stand to your feet. We're going to pray right now. Stand to your feet. It's okay. I know it's a little inconvenient, but you're, you'll be all right. Stand to your feet. Because I think what the world needs to see right now is this. I think what the world needs to see right now is this. That it works both ways, and when both are working together, man, that's some powerful leverage right there. That's powerful leverage. When the cross is working both ways, when you have the love of God coming down to humanity, and the love of humanity is going out to the world, that cross, that leverage has enough power to open a tomb. You want to you talk about leverage? God said, watch this. What the law couldn't do because of the tablets, didn't have enough leverage, I'm going to do with love. And I believe love can make dead things come alive today. And I believe love can break chains today. And I believe that when God does this and the church does this, come on, how many people still believe that there's power in the cross? Come on. How many people still believe that there's power in the cross? This is what we celebrate this month. Some people like to celebrate their birthday week. It's crazy, right? Well, I think Jesus gets a whole birthday month. Actually, I think Jesus gets a birthday year, okay? So it's nonstop. But it's got to go both ways. So maybe you're that person today that needs this. You need it because you won't do this until you get this. But when you get this, and you claim you got this, you better start the show. It's got to show. This is what will change the world. This is what will change the church. This is what will bring revival. God's love. God, thank you for this time. God, we love you so much. We're, we're so impacted by your love. It, I, I'm celebrating 15 years since I was baptized this year, and for the very first time on Monday this week, I felt you open my heart to your love. It's a journey. It's a journey for all of us, God. But I beg you today, through the power of your spirit, to help us understand your love. How deep, how wide, how long, how great the love of Christ is. Change us. Move us. Let's be grateful for the cross right now as we reflect on Jesus and what he's done for us. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.